Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today on Looking Forward, we're going to take a look at a major trend that is already making a big impact on us, whether we live in the United States or elsewhere around the world. It's called Artificial Intelligence, or AI. To help us learn more about AI, how it's affecting us now, and how it may affect us in the future, we've brought on a recognized international expert on this topic. He's Johan Linsjo. Juran is a global senior AI advisor. He specializes in strategic AI and digital transformation and has extensive experience in working with both the private and public sectors. Juran's been a serial entrepreneur and worked for the government offices of Sweden and one of the leading telecommunications companies in the world, Ericsson. He's inspired several policymakers and many executive teams to start their AI journeys. Duron is a frequent keynote speaker and AI teacher in several countries. Because of his expertise, he has an extensive network within the AI community in both North America and Europe. Hi, Johan. Welcome to Looking Forward. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate to be part of this. I like your show. Thank you. Joran, I know that you're from Sweden. Can you please tell us briefly where you're from in Sweden and how did you get to the United States? Well, uh, I have been living most of my life in the southern part of Sweden, but also quite a, uh, many years in Stockholm, actually. We got to the United States, me and my wife, because one, one really big reason was that we only have one child and he went to Ohio in 2004. And, you know, if you only have one child, you, you can choose to stalk that poor, poor kid all over the world, if you like. So that's what we did. So now we're in Delaware. And Delaware used to be a Swedish colony in the 1600s. So it's really nice because we have this ship, what was called Kalmar Nickel, outside the small town of Lewis, where we live. And that's really, really nice to have this connection with Sweden here. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I completely forgot about the Swedish connection with Delaware and Wilmington. So thanks for reminding me of that. It makes perfect sense now to me. Joran, what got you so interested in the field of artificial intelligence? Well, as a teenager in the 70s in, in my small hometown in Sweden, I was reading the magazine Scientific American uh, and similar magazines in in our school library and um, they actually run articles on that time on on ai uh, and a few years later i uh, i think i remember i liked the book uh, by douglas hofstadter called gödel echerbach and it got me really interested in more philosophical implications of ai like uh, what will it mean if uh, we get machines to think but, uh, but an odd thing is that uh, I was never really into science fiction. But back to, back to high school, I, I created this simple mathematical game 
hoping it could inspire some sort of discussions or testing in the AI community. And actually, Scientific American published that idea. So the editor, Martin Gardner, called it domineering. And just decades later, when we got internet, you know, in the late 1990s, uh, I got the idea to try to find uh, if someone actually did pick up the, this game. And uh, I was like completely amazed to find that it was used in several AI PhD theses and in tournaments and at universities and in a few books actually. So, so internet is, is really amazing. <laughs> I got my first job in, a, in an AI company in 1985 uh, and I, I really couldn't imagine that you were allowed to have that much fun in, at, at work. I, I, I do remember trying to describe my work day as like going to an, an amusement park every day. That's, that's <laughs> the type of work I had. So yeah, it was great fun. So your interest goes way back before most of us were even talking about AI, right? It, you're, you're going back to the, you're in high school and then in the 80s. Yeah, I'm like an AI dinosaur or whatever. <laughs> okay. What was your major in college? In mathematics. Mathematics. Okay, that makes sense. You're on Looking Forward is a podcast that focuses on the future. But in order to do that, we'd like to look backwards a little bit. So can you please share with us your perspectives on when, why, and how AI developed over the past couple of decades or so. I know you mentioned the internet. So if you'd please share that information with us. Yeah, then, then we have to go even way back compared to what I just said. We, we have to go back to the uh, summer of 1956. Wow. Where a number of, yeah, a number of mathematicians and sci scientists gathered from different U.S. universities, uh, and they had a brainstorm and described the concept of AI. At that point, and actually several times later, we have been very hopeful for AI, and we always had a lot of backlash. We call them AI winters. It's not the summer. But we used to have several different ways to model knowledge and reasoning, but most of these have only worked on small scale applications really. But I think for like 10, 15 years ago, when a specific part of AI called machine learning started to gain momentum, things were different. Uh, machine learning have some similarities with the human brain and have been an interesting research topic uh, all the time really, but we, we didn't have powerful machines enough. We, I mean, like raw computer power uh, or we actually didn't have data enough to train these machines. So, uh, you know, machine learning requires really a lot of data to, to be trained. Uh, but the, then we started to get some really spectacular successes, like U.S. defense part called DARPA. They had a competition for self-driving cars. I think it was like 2005. Uh, and uh, AI was winning Jeopardy 2011. You know, Jeopardy questions are a bit tricky for computers. It's just not to look up something in a dictionary. It's more tricky than that. And uh, AI was winning the very complex game of Go, the Asian uh, game of board game Go in 2016, I think. 
And then the last few years, we got a lot of speech recognition, image recognitions, and, and a lot of other applications, really. So what really propelled it, Johan? Was it the computer that propelled it? You mentioned data. What really caused it to be at the forefront now of discussions such as the one we're having of applications, which you'll be talking about? Yeah, I, I think that's an important part uh, of the success. That, that is, we get more computer power. We, we have more data. We, we double the data every second year, really. So we have an exponential growth of data. And we didn't used to have that a couple of decades ago. Uh, but also, when it all started, I think money started to pour into this business. There's a lot of investments. And... We also got, as you said, we got internet where we can distribute this. We got mobile devices where we can distribute it. So it's, it's like a perfect storm of many things happening for AI. Very well explained. Appreciate that. Where would you say we are now, Johan, in terms of the use of artificial intelligence? For example, where is it being widely used and how is it being used? Yeah, actually, I don't know if people think about this, but almost all of us are using AI on a daily basis. Really? I, yeah. For just to take one example, Please. if you use if you use credit cards, um, the credit card companies are using AI for several years, so they can detect fraud much easier than earlier. But it also means that you get less uh, false positive compared to earlier models. You can you can probably go to a country you've never been to and pay a, a hefty hotel bill without any problems today. That used to be a problem. Uh, this is because AI has been trained on millions of other users, of billions of transactions. And... Um, so AI can find some sort of hidden pattern, which means that after all, it is not that odd that you are in another country and paying for this hotel bill. You use AI when you search the internet, you use AI when you get emails, your spam filters are AI nowadays. If you go into DC, you see small robots delivering food uh, they are built by AI. You see them on the sidewalks. Uh, when you open your smartphone, you can use facial recognition. Uh, when you get friends' suggestions on social media, that is AI. And you can actually argue that the seven most valuable companies in the world are all really AI companies. They are producing AI and selling AI. Uh, it's not big pharma or oil companies anymore. Um, and, and they embed AI in their products. For example, the CEO of Google, he said that we are not a search company. We, we are an AI company. AI is the core in our business, whatever we do. And we reuse that everywhere. And another example is Jeff Bezos at Amazon. He says that we, we are actually using hundreds of AI applications. But we also see ongoing AI disruption in, in all types of, of sectors, in, in retail, in, in finance, in automotive, and, and yeah, other sectors. It's all over the place, really. The interesting thing about this, Johan, is it's undercover from the consumer's perspective. In other words, 
it's opaque. We don't really see this, but you see it. What is different about it? Yeah, one way to look at it is it can find a lot of patterns, really, a lot of hidden patterns. If you take Spotify, for example, uh, and also the, the competitors of Spotify as well, um, they have like few hundred uh, parameters on every song. They have like four or five hundred parameters, and I, I'm not that into music. I can't imagine several hundred parameters, but they have that on every song. And when I'm listening to a song and do that repeatedly, listening to different songs, they they will find something which we actually do not have a language for. They will find a pattern in my listening. So they can recommend new songs for me, which is maybe in a hip-hop or whatever, which I normally don't listen to. Sure. And I will actually find that enjoy enjoyable to listen to that. Uh, so that is a type of pattern matching. And, and it's the same thing when, for example, um, banks are looking for money laundering. They are looking for a very hidden pattern somewhere. What, what you just described, Jeff, like a hidden thing for us consumers. I think that's correct description in many ways. That it's we, we don't see it really in the surface, but it, it's under there doing things. I mean, it, I think it's quite impressive when I open my smartphone with my face, for example. So that, that, that's the same thing. They, they find this hidden pattern. You know, it reminds me, Ron, a few years ago, I met this gentleman who had been an executive with a big paper company that's no longer in business. Yeah. And we got involved for a short time in, in the network marketing business. And he described it as like electricity. He says, this is all going on out there and I never knew about it. And that's to me what this sounds like. It's like electricity. It's there, but you don't really see it there, but it's, it's working. Yeah. And it has been uh, described just as electricity, like, like what we call a general purpose technology. That is a technology which can be used all over the place, really. And electricity, of course, you can use for many, many different type of application. And this is the same thing, really. Same thing. What would you say, Johan, or the differences, if any, in terms of how far along the different countries are in their development and use of AI? You mentioned Amazon. You mentioned Google. These are companies that started in the United States. You're from Sweden. So is the United States ahead? Are other countries like Sweden ahead? Well, for the moment and for the coming year, United States and China are very much in the forefront. In the United States, that doesn't mean that the public sector or small companies are leading. But as we just talked about, some of the big companies like Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and so on, are very much in lead. And so are, of course, uh, several universities in the United States like MIT and Stanford. But some countries actually have a very progressive agenda on AI. For example, Canada and UK. Just to give you one example, in, in Montreal area, they have been expanding very fast in the last few years, and they are attracting big tech and, and entrepreneurs. They're not only attracting those type of companies we just mentioned, they are attracting Samsung from South Korea and Ericsson from Sweden and so on. So universities in Montreal have many students which are on non-tech programs 
which also get a substantial part of AI. These people will be extra attractive, I think, in the job market. Well, regarding EU, or the some EU countries like France, Finland and Estonia are moving forward quite aggressively. EU as such are focusing a lot on ethical aspect, on infrastructure and things like that, on, on basic things uh, rather than the use of AI. So I think each country that are moving in different phases is a bit complicated. But also these big uh, US companies and Chinese companies, they, they have plans, research and development in countries on the African continent as well. So it's wow. actually happening all over the place. Yeah. So from your perspective, Joran, what effect has COVID-19 had on the development and use of AI? And can you give some specific examples? Yeah, I would try. I, I think some countries and regions and, and some companies actually did have an important AI deployed before the pandemic. Uh, South Korea is such an example. It is amazing to see how well they handled the outbreak, although they got less warning than Europe and North America, and also considering the dense population in South Korea. The many applications of AI were probably part of this. Uh, others who were well prepared were some U.S. healthcare organizations like Cleveland Clinic, John Hopkins in Baltimore and Mayo Clinic. They, they all have many AI applications for predictions, for diagnostics, for planning and so on and can reuse this knowledge they have. They also have advanced AI centers and executive teams who understand the importance of AI. And also a Canadian AI company called Blue Dot was actually the first one who identified the outbreak already in December last year. They used AI to analyze tons of air travels, news, hundreds of thousands of news articles and many, many other data. And today AI is used uh, during the pandemic to, to in vaccine research, to contact tracing, to for triage and for several other COVID-19 related applications. But th there were also actually companies and regions which decided in the beginning of the, of, of the pandemic to get more data driven and to get use more AI and try to use the tremendous amount of new research and new data which were available already in the spring. But maybe we're not that prepared as uh, these uh, healthcare organizations in US or as South Korea. But example of the, these um, could be, for example, New York State and California, which tapped into all that information coming and, and are using AI today for that. So is COVID-19 spurring the use of AI or was it going to move rapidly regardless of whether or not uh, we had COVID-19? I think it's spurring uh, the, the, your first alternative there, but uh, yes, but it's maybe focusing on, on healthcare and, and things close to, to healthcare. But at the same time, I, I also see in, in, in the debate that people are arguing that we, we thought AI would have solved our, all our pandemic problems by now. So pe people have very, very high expectations yeah. for AI, AI as a silver bullet, really. 
Yes. If you had to make a prediction or two, what trends do you think we might see over the next decade in terms of the development and the use of AI? You talked a little bit about hospitals, a little bit about financial services. Where do you see this going, this use and the further development of AI going over this decade? I, I think we will need less data to train AI. I think this will be quite important. It, it will mean new types of applications to new areas, to new sectors. And I have to admit, for me, it's very hard to predict which areas really. Yeah. Uh, it was spread a lot. I, I really don't think the supply of AI will stop this. It, it, it will not be a dominant factor for the speed of this, but rather the demand are slowing it down. It, it's, it's hard for us as humans to, to really change that fast. Uh, it, we, we are not used to, to handle, I mean, for example, in the job market or many other areas for, for, for companies, for executives at companies, it's very hard to, to tap in on, on everything that's happening right now. So that will decide the speed of what will happen and the spread of this, I think. In other words, the adaptation to the changes that AI would require could really determine how much it's used in societies? Yeah, if you go to companies, I, I, I think companies which are used to change management, which have middle management, which are used to handle uh, changes, uh, they, they, it's easier for them to do this compared to, for example, companies in sectors which have been earning money for many years without really having to change. And that is the same really for, for societies, I think. I, I think Estonia would be a good example of a small country which, which has been used to a lot of changes for a few years. So, yeah. I'm wondering, Johan, if you could give the listeners an example or two of something you think they might experience, although they may not see it, like we talked about before, but something they may experience in their own lives that will have AI behind it in some way. Something that maybe we're on the cusp of right now that you know, it may be in healthcare, it may be in finance, it may be just in retail. Can you think of an example or two of something that we might be able to relate to that AI will help bring about? Yes. And, and again, the AI would be quite hidden in this yeah. way, I think. For example, if your nurse and doctor happen to have more time to relate to you, to speak to you, than before. That could be AI doing the tedious work that uh, the mm. doctor and, and nurse used to do. If you get a really good recommendation on Netflix, for example, uh, you, you, you were strongly recommended some movie you really didn't think was anything for you. And after using those two hours to watch the movie, you, you were thinking, this is one of my top three movies ever. Yeah. That, would, that would be AI. So, it, and that's also hidden. So, yeah, it's, it's working beneath the surface there. Well, what I really like in what you said is that notion of a doctor or nurse having more time to spend with you. Are you optimistic about that? I'm really optimistic about that part. We, we are already getting data from 
as I said, that type of health organizations like John Hopkins and Cleveland Clinic, that we can see this is already happening, really. So I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about that part, yes. But of course, I don't know how the hospitals will choose to use that extra time from, they say, from tedious work. So if they use it for seeing the patients or if they use it for more research stuff for the doctors, I, I don't know that. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you think AI has the potential to reduce healthcare costs? Yes, I do. I, I think uh, we, we, in, in many countries like United States, Sweden and other countries, we really need to reduce the, the costs. So I think there will be a really good forces to do that and, and using AI and, and, and other technology. Yes. Excellent. Now, this is, I think, a very important question that a lot of people might find of interest. And that is, I recall hearing somebody say that AI could potentially take away jobs and that things will be done now that humans would have done. The same thing we used to hear about computers. And to some extent, it was true. Of course, new jobs have been created as well certainly by computers. So in your opinion, will AI create jobs or will it take them away? And then I'll ask you a follow-up after that. Okay. Well, I, I, I think AI does not so much replace jobs as tasks. It, it, as, as I mentioned, for example, tedious tasks, repetitive tasks. It, it, it rather augments than replace jobs. So, um, for example, the quality of the outcome increases. But, of course, if it takes away a lot of tedious tasks for, for many people, then you might do with less people in, in that specific job than you used to have. But I think probably AI creates a little bit more jobs uh, net then it will take take away uh, but th but that of course doesn't mean that we can just relax i think we we will all be part of a lifelong learning process as as machines learns to do these mundane tasks uh, we will have time to focus on, on on really what humans do best instead of trying to compete with with machines so yeah as i said with the example of the nurses and doctors earlier, for example, that we, we have, will have time for things that humans are really excellent to do and not machines. And uh, I, I'm one of the people that think that maybe we shouldn't put in that much effort to compete with computers, really. And when you're advising the companies you work with, how do you suggest they apply AI? In other words, do you try to direct them towards the aspects of AI that don't require the human intervention, the human communication, the human touch part of things? Yes. One thing that normally happens is that many of the executive teams are not really ready to use AI for important stuff, for core business. They they. they might have some people looking in into what what can we do some peripheral stuff really in our business but uh, when when you're looking into core business i i think most of the time the type of applications we get to is really again to augment uh, 
clever people to do an even higher quality job, for example. If you take the finance department, how, how do we do the predictions better? And for example, for the call centers, uh, you can get AI to get the right answer at the first call. You, d you don't have to escalate the things and so on. So the, I think, yeah, it's a lot, of, lot about augmenting rather than replacing, I think. Yeah, well, that's encouraging. Now, speaking of augmenting, where would you say that there will be opportunities for the college student today or tomorrow who's trying to pick a major or who's trying to figure out where they'd want to work when they finish college or somebody maybe who's looking to change their job or change their career or even an investor. There are different groups, but where do you see opportunities for individuals in the AI world? Well, yeah, of course, there are the AI professionals as such are in much demand, but uh, and that almost goes without saying. But I think maybe even a better career might be the normal like finance, law, HR, and so on, and have a significant competence in AI, as I described these universities in Montreal earlier, for example. And in the United States, um, I think you actually do have quite a lot of people that can do with data, can do data analytics for example we we we, we don't, in in europe it's not that common so it's a good uh, foundation to stand on but i think you will need to add quite a lot of ai in in that type of careers like as as i said finance law hr and and the like regarding um, investments you said I, I i i'm i'm not in a good position to give any recommendations there but uh, i mean that there are so many clever startups in in the ai arena there, there are hundreds in each category of like healthcare marketing hr and so on and uh, of course companies like tesla uber airbnb Zillow, they have been gaining a lot from their early investments in in ai uh, netflix i mentioned for example yeah so to to navigate this space i think you you need to understand the the usefulness of of ai in in different types of of situations really yes Joran, you mentioned AI professionals. You said, of course, there's going to be a demand for AI professionals. And you talked about the need for people in different professions to learn about data analytics and so forth. How does one become an AI professional? And how does one learn about data analytics? If you're in college, I guess it's being taught. You mentioned Montreal. Is it also something that you can learn after college, if you're if you're a lawyer, a doctor, or if you're somebody in retail and you need to know this, two things there. How does somebody become an AI professional like you are? And how does somebody, if they're not going to be an AI professional, gain a certain degree of knowledge in the AI arena? Yeah, 
I think there are many different ways to tackle that. One thing is the mass online courses from the big United States universities like uh, Harvard, um, Carnegie Mellon, MIT, Stanford, and so on. They, they are excellent, really. And you, you, you can take those courses, I think. Another thing is um, something called Elements of AI. I think it's like a three or four day course, which uh, the Finnish government have have made available in all all type of languages, including English, and it's for free. So you can take that course. And uh, I think there's a lot of stuff out there you can take. I, I don't know about United States. I think maybe you can also get a normal course in your, in your local university in machine learning, for example. Do, do not only look for AI then, look for machine learning as well, I think. And it was that one course in Finland, Elements of AI, was it? Yeah, I think it's called Elements of AI, and, and uh, it's it's really good. And, and as a present to all the other European countries, Finland gave this um, last year in every language in, in the EU. So, uh, and of course, as the Irish speak English, that it, it is in English as well. So you, yeah. you can have that. For, you can have that for free in US as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good to know. And I'm just trying to envision the courses that one would take. You mentioned data analytics. Does it include a math? Like, what 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 would be the courses in an AI curriculum? Yeah, I think math is quite important if you if you're like want to get into an AI professional thing. I mean, the thing I mentioned earlier, I don't I don't think you need that much math, but it is quite important if you want to dig a, a bit deeper in this area. The whole thing of machine learning AI is built on math. It's like 100% math. So it's a bit hard to navigate without some sort of fundamental math anyway. Yeah. Would you need to have a lot of computer training? Of course, it helps to to be knowledgeable about coding and so on. Yes, it helps. And just to summarize that, so you would, I think, say that AI can create a lot of jobs then over the next decade. It has that potential. Yes, it's it's like, you know, when we got uh, cars more than 100 years ago, you can can imagine a lot of new jobs working at a gas station, selling insurance for cars or whatever, which were not around before that. So the, the net number of tasks and jobs I, I, I would think would be positive, really. That's exciting news. In addition to some examples you gave, the potential for doctors and nurses to have more time, the potential might be for more communication because some of this other stuff is being done by machines. That's exciting news, which we all need exciting news these days. Now, you're on. Let me close by asking you, how can our listeners find out more about you, your consulting, your training activities, your speaking engagements, and anything else that you're involved with? Oh, the, the easiest way would probably be to, to just Google my name and maybe add AI. <laughs> uh, and, and then you will find uh, quite a few speeches on, on YouTube, on articles and other stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of it is in, in Swedish, but some of it is in English as well. 
I also try actually to highlight upcoming events and stuff I find important on my LinkedIn account. That includes books, ideas and other stuff and also stuff which I'm not part of myself actually. So it might be a good idea to just connect on LinkedIn, I think. Excellent. And just so everybody knows this, it's G-O-R-A-N-L-I-N-D-S-J-O. Did I get that right? It's correct. Excellent. Jeff. I got it right. Took me a little bit of time to get that. Anyway, Duran, it's been a pleasure having you on Looking Forward. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. AI is fascinating, and you've been at the forefront of it going back to the 70s and 80s. It's pretty remarkable. You've seen a lot of changes. Thanks for sharing that wisdom. Thank you so much. It's it's been fun being here. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward. Looking Forward.